If you want to turn with your, in your Bibles to Matthew 16, that's what we're going to be looking at today as we celebrate Reformation Sunday and think a little bit about the church. Today is Reformation Sunday. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther dealt the symbolic blow that began the Protestant Reformation when he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church. That document contained an attack on ongoing abuses in the church in that day, particularly the sale of indulgences by church officials. In essence, you had professional pardoners who were going around to people and granting them forgiveness for their sins if they paid uh, certain amounts of money. And the church in that day used this fund uh, to, or used this collection of money to fund crusades, to fund the building uh, of things like, at this time, during Luther's day, was St. Peter's Cathedral that still exists in Rome. The Pope was, uh, was building up that. And if you read the 95 Theses, one of the latter one's about number 86, I think he says, the Pope is rich as Croesus. And why is he asking poor indigent people for money? Why doesn't he build St. Peter's with his own money? So you can see that uh, Martin Luther was a little upset about some things. But mostly, uh, he was upset about this, these issues that were more theological in nature in the church that came out in their practice. These 95 Theses were points of debate. He nailed them to the door of the church because that was the public bulletin board. If you wanted to find out what was going on in the town, you went to the church door, and that's where people posted announcements. And he posted this announcement and invited people to debate on these matters at hand, which he outlined in 95 short points. That's kind of funny, isn't it? 95 short points. They were short points, a lot of short points. And if you could not attend the debate... He invited you to do, to do so in writing. And the rest, as they say, is history. Why did uh, Luther do this? Well, he had a concern for the truth and a concern for the church of which he was a servant. Now, if we move forward a few years, about 20 years, to 1536 in Geneva, Switzerland, the Reformation was spreading through continental Europe like, like wildfire. Uh, nevertheless, Geneva was far from a reformed city. Troubles continued and the work of reformation was far from over. The leader there was a fellow named William Farrell. And Farrell was working tirelessly to promote the gospel in the city of Geneva. Now, it was into this situation that John Calvin arrived one evening. Um, he had just recently published the first edition of his book that's still in print, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And he came into uh, Geneva basically by accident. He was on his way to Strasbourg. He had been in Paris. He was a Frenchman. And he was leaving there because he recognized that he had no future in France. So he heads off to Strasbourg in modern-day Germany. It was a free city in the Holy Roman Empire, and it was a refuge for reformers. Now, due to military maneuvers of the imperial and French forces, he had to take a detour to the south, and that brought him into Geneva. 
He wasn't going to stay in the city, but sought just a night's lodging in his travels. But William Farrell heard that Calvin was in town. He was familiar with his work, and Farrell immediately sought out this man whom he had never met to implore him to stay in Geneva and to help him with the work of Reformation there. Calvin did meet with him, and Calvin had no intention of doing that whatsoever. Calvin himself tells us that he was shy and retiring, and he yearned for a life of peace and quiet to study in some sanctuary far from the rumble of the storms created by the Reformation. He steadfastly and strenuously resisted uh, the overtures that Pharrell uh, gave to him to stay in Geneva until, in exasperation, Pharrell bellowed, I declare in the name of God that if you do not assist us in this work of the Lord, the Lord will punish you for following your own interests rather than his call. And here's how Calvin described it. Pharrell, who was working with incredible zeal to promote the gospel, bent all his efforts to keep me in the city. And when he realized that I was determined to study in privacy in some obscure place and saw that he gained nothing by entreaty, he descended to cursing and said that God would surely curse my peace if I held back from giving help at a time of such great need. Terrified by his words and conscious of my own timidity and cowardice, I gave up my journey and attempted to apply whatever gift I had in defense of my faith and the good of the church there in Geneva. And again, the rest, they say, is history. Now these men and, and many others in that day and, and forward were, consider, were concerned for biblical faith, for truth, and it led them to serve in the church. They believed in the church. They wanted to see the church grow and be faithful to the Lord. And their commitment and subsequent actions that are often called for great sacrifices on their behalf resulted in a renewed and reformed church. The gospel was rediscovered. It was spread through, throughout Europe, throughout the world. And we owe them a lot, and that is why we mark the day, Reformation Sunday. And like our forefathers in the faith, these reformers and others, I believe many people today have lost faith in the church. They believed in the church. Today, many people do not believe in the church, especially in the Western world, in places like America, the United Kingdom, and the rest of Western Europe. Well, what happens when people lose faith in the church? Well, they stop going to church, and we see that happening throughout the Western world. They stop serving in the church. They stop giving to the church. People spend their resources on things in which they believe. And if you want to know what someone believes in, just take a look at how they spend their time, their money, and where they apply their abilities and talents. A person's priorities can be quickly ascertained by looking at these three areas. Where do they spend their personal resources? Now there are two questions I want you to ask yourselves today. The first question is this. And it's actually question number two. The first question is, have you lost faith in the church? I want you to evaluate yourselves today in respect to this question, but I'm going to deal with that question second. The second question that I want to deal with first is this question. 
Should the church be a priority for you? Should the church be a priority for you? And this question brings us to the text before us today in Matthew's Gospel, verse, chapter 16, verses 13 and following. I'm going to focus in on verse 18, but I'll read the whole uh, section just to get the context. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, thinking about the Reformation uh, has brought us to this day and why we celebrate it. Sarah told me today that I needed to explain to people why I was wearing the robe. Uh, I I wore the robe last week, and uh, everybody kept asking me, why is Tim wearing a robe? It's not Reformation Sunday yet. Uh, Well, obviously today I'm wearing it because it's Reformation Sunday, and last week I wore it just because I wanted to. Uh, There was no, no great secret. I was thinking about it and thought, hey... I think I'll wear the robe today. So just that would seem to be a burning question last week, and I didn't want the robe to overshadow anything else today. Uh, but we come to the church, and we think about, uh, you know, how church is done in, in our church and, and church in general, and, you know, how's the church doing? And, and these are all questions that we have upon our minds, I think, uh, as i talk to you and you relate to me I hear a lot of people asking these questions and thinking these thoughts so should the church be a priority for you now I don't think that anybody here today will be surprised when I say that the answer to this question is yes the church should be a priority for you I I can't imagine a scenario where anybody here uh, would be surprised by that answer maybe a better question for you would be is How important should the church be to you? How important should the church be to you? Well, when we first moved to uh, Cheltenham in England, where I was planning a church back in 2001, I I spent about an hour one day just walking around the town, a town of about 110,000 people. Uh, I I walked around, and what I was doing was touring all the church buildings that were no longer churches, we were starting a new church, and we had a little group, and, and I was hoping to one day secure a, a building for, for this church uh, to meet in. And I knew that there were lots of old churches that were either abandoned or being used for something else. And maybe we could uh, go into an old church and, and uh, put a congregation back in there. And I probably saw you know a dozen churches, church buildings. You know, some of them were no longer, well, most of them, uh, well, all of them, the ones that I looked at, were no longer being used as, as church buildings. Some were office buildings. One was a doctor's office. Uh, one was the Hindu community center. Uh, another were, uh, uh, was, uh, was uh, an office building. I think I mentioned that. Uh, a couple were bars. One was called the pulpit. 
looked like a church, but it was a bar. And that, it was a shame. The oldest building in town was the original parish church, and the parish wasn't sure what to do with it anymore. Uh, a little congregation met there, but they had sent, long since built a, a modern, more modern building, and uh, this church was you know, hundreds and hundreds of years old and uh, was really a money pit and was no longer, it was no longer feasible uh, to use it. It wasn't heated. There were no bathrooms. It was just this old structure. And they were thinking about turning it into a community center, and I don't know that that was very practical. And they actually tried to get me to buy it at one point, and I could just see the dollars just draining out, you know, into trying to fix the roof and fix that and fix the other and preserve it because it was such a historical building. But I was there one day. It was right in the center of town. Uh, it was a nice place to go visit because there's a, there's a preaching cross out in front, which is just a cross up on a pedestal, you know, stone, limestone cross. Uh, John Wesley actually stood on this cross and preached there back in the 1700s. So, you know, you're there, you're, you're a church planner, and you're getting some inspiration there, and I'm walking around the church, and I strike up a conversation with this fellow that was there. Of course, they hear the accent and wonder what I'm doing here, and I talk, we start talking about church invariably. And uh, this, this fellow said that he was a Christian, but he did not believe in organized religion. He felt that he could, he could worship God just fine in the privacy of his own home, or, or better yet, on the golf course, which I think was, real, was his real motivation uh, to get up on Sunday morning. Uh, he didn't need to go to a church building in order to, to worship God. Now, obviously, everybody sitting here this morning does not have that attitude, or else you would be on the golf course and not here at church. But I fear that line of thinking has crept into the thinking of the American evangelical church with its emphasis on individual faith, which I believe springs much from the individualism in our American culture. You know, we, we pride ourselves. Uh, on being able to pull ourselves by our own bootstraps. We are very independent. And those are valuable things. Uh, some people think that the church is somewhat important, but the most important thing is a person's own walk with the Lord, their personal walk with the Lord. And this line of thinking has led many to the attitude that a commitment to the local church is secondary to their commitment to their own personal faith. Therefore, when a lo local church does not meet their felt needs, they quickly hop to another church where they feel those needs are being met. Now, I certainly believe that each of us should have our own personal faith. We, we each as individuals need to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But our faith, though it is individual, is not individualistic. There are no lone ranger Christians like the guy I met out in front of the parish church in Cheltenham. We cannot faithfully follow Jesus unless we're connected to other believers. We need one another. So individual faith and commitment to a local church are not mutually exclusive. You cannot have strong individual faith without the commitment to a local church. And that's why the writer of Hebrews commands us not to forsake assembling together, as some were in the habit of doing, but we must have the encouragement of other believers. Just to mention one benefit of assembling together in a local church. Now, as we look at the passage before us today, 
in Matthew 16, we see that the church is Jesus' priority. It's His priority. Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is Jesus doing? What is His mission? His mission was to build His church. Now, the, the, the word church there in the original language is interesting. You know, we have all kinds of connotations when we think of the word church. Some people think of the, this building as being a church. You know, we, people pass by and say, oh, there's a church. But this is not a church. This is the church building. The church is actual people who are members of it. That's who the church is. Uh, this is, this is the, just the building in which we meet. And that word... Uh, for church, this translated church in the original language is ecclesia, and we get words like ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, or uh, ecclesiastical, uh, this is an ecclesiastical robe, it's a church robe. Uh, that word means literally uh, to be called out, called out. So a church is those who are called out. Uh, assembly is another good word for it. Actually, in the Bible, the word Ecclesia, or the word church, is used not only for churches, but for other assemblies as well. When Paul is in Ephesus, and the people gather, and they start a riot because of the gospel that Paul is preaching, the, the writer there, uh, Luke in Acts, tells us that that was a church. That was an assembly. The people assembled together to, to try to do something uh, about this Apostle Paul and, and the things that he was teaching and how he was ruining uh, the worship of Diana in Ephesus. So people uh, called out, an assembly duly summoned. Jesus came to earth to gather a people for himself, people who would, were called by him to be his followers. And we unite together in local expressions of that. That's what a local church does. We are people in this locale who meet in this place because we are followers of Jesus and we're seeking to follow him together. So Jesus is building a church. He's building it. And the word building is another compound word which literally means to build a house. The word build and house are in that word. So Jesus is constructing from the ground up like one would build a house. You know, just down Father Ryan here, uh, there's a new house almost at the end next to White Avenue. And it's been fun to watch it go from uh, the, the dirt being replaced to, to put the foundation down and they laid the foundation and now uh, it looks like they're almost uh, finished with the outside and they're going to start working on the inside. But we've watched it go up from the ground up. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He came to earth to build an assembly of people. He calls out from the world from every tongue and tribe and nation. He died for these people in order to cleanse them and to assemble them together for himself. Ephesians 5 tells us that Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is his himself its savior. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any, any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So Jesus builds his church upon this rock, he says. What is this rock? It's not Peter himself. It's Peter's confession, his faithful confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is those who confess faith in Christ. 
who are part of the church. That's how he's going to build it, on faithfulness to his word, faithfulness to the truth. And it's revealed by God. It's something that God reveals to people. All that to say, Jesus was all about the church. He, he was so committed to the church that he died to secure it. He died to create it and to form it and to make it. And he's going to return to gather it together to be with him forever. That is the institution that Christ has put on this earth. And if we want to be followers of Jesus, then we need to be all about the church. We follow his lead. If the church is his priority, it must be our priority. And that should be demonstrated by a commitment not only to the church universal, but to the local church, a church like First Presbyterian Church of Biloxi. So, yes, the church should be a priority for us because it's Jesus' priority. It's the only institution in the world in which he attaches his name, and he's building it. Now, the first question, that's actually the second question, have you lost faith in the church? And I said that before, many people have lost faith in the church in our day and time, in what Jesus is building in the world. Is he really building the church in the world? And I fear that's happened to many here at our church, here at First Presbyterian Church. And why would I say that? That's, I mean, we can talk frankly here. This church has been through a number of difficulties over the past decade. As the old hymn says, Men see her sore oppressed by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. You've seen some of that, maybe not the heresies, but you've certainly seen the schisms. You've had natural disasters. Uh, you've seen the congregation and the leadership in disharmony and splitting apart in past years. Uh, you've seen leaders in the church struggling with moral issues. Uh, you know, it's a temptation in light of all these things. And we see empty spots here in the, in the congregation. We look at our finances and see that that we uh, struggle from month to month. Uh, it's easy to see that uh, we're struggling. And when people uh, see that, it's easy to lose faith in the church. And then they stop giving their resources to the church. And as I mentioned before, resources are time and money and talents. It's easy to get discouraged and to think, this thing's failing. It's going in the wrong direction. But we need to remember that it's Jesus that's building his church. It's not necessarily us. He uses us, but he's the one doing the work, and he's the one working in us and through us. And if you haven't caught on yet, yes, this is a stewardship sermon. And you can expect in the coming years, around the 1st of November, that you will be hearing about stewardship. And I don't mean just money, but I mean all of our, uh, all of our resources, our money, our time, our talents, how are we using these things? Are we using them for the benefit of Christ's church? November is a time when the end of the year is fast approaching. We want to finish the year on a strong note. We're beginning to plan next year's activities along with the budget to support those activities. The deacons will be soon meeting to put together our budget for next year. November is the time to think about stewardship. How do we allocate our resources, our money, our time, and our talents? We need to evaluate whether or not we as individuals are giving our time, our talent, 
and our money to the church as we are called to do by God. There are many worthy causes and institutions in this world to which we can commit our time and our money and our talents. There are political causes, community causes, charitable institutions. The list goes on. They're all good things. However, Jesus, as I said before, only puts his name on one cause, one institution, the church. The church is his cause, and if we're followers of Christ, then his cause should be our cause. We should contribute our money, our time, and our talents to his cause. And I've been here a year and a half now. I love being here. I would love to be here for 40 years. How old will I be? Uh, maybe I'll still I'll be retired by then, hopefully. Uh, but I, I, I want to have a long-term ministry here. I want to be a part of this church. We love being here. We love this church. We're excited about what God is doing. I feel like in the first year and a half or so, we've just uh, given stability to the situation. But we're still kind of in a survival mode. But we've got some good things going on, and I want you to see that and understand that. That, yes, we've got some new leadership, uh, additional leadership, I I should say, coming if they finish their exams. That's an encouragement to our guys who are who are doing their ordination exams. And that will be coming soon. We'll be having some new leadership uh, and some more leadership. Uh, We want to be a church that faithfully proclaims God's word. And we've got things in place, and you've had things in place for a long time, doing that, supporting that. And we're going to do more things like that. We're going to start uh, on Wednesdays uh, a theological class for those of you who want to go really deep uh, in the study of theology. Wednesday nights... Uh, at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall, starting in uh, November the 13th, I think. The 6th. We're going even earlier. Wow, we're getting on with this thing. So, yes, you'll hear more about that. So we want to be committed to the truth. We're also a church that has historically been committed to missions, and we're going to continue that. We're talking about, we had a missions committee this week. We're talking about how can we support missions. We want to be a part of the spread of the gospel throughout the world, throughout uh, the Gulf Coast. And we're uh, talking about how we can do a better job of that, supporting missionaries, building up missionaries. Uh, We want uh, to be a a church uh, that uh, is known as a missions church in reality. You know, we talk a lot about it and we think about our past, but we want it to be true. Uh, Just one last story. I know our time is short, but this church uh, is built for a steeple. Uh, Most people know that, but when they built this sanctuary... Uh, they didn't have enough money to build the steeple. And uh, as I understand, I may not have all the facts straight, so you can ask uh, Chuck or some, some of the people who have been here a long time uh, all the details. But if you actually go up in the attic, you'll see that we've got all the platform and all the structure for a steeple. And they needed to raise, back in the 60s, they needed to raise $250,000 to put that steeple up. And they raised that money. But by the time they got to the, to, to the decision to build the, the, the uh, steeple, they said, let's give that money to missions, and they did. So there's no steeple on this church, and hey, I'm thankful because I think if there had been a steeple on this church during Katrina, this church might not be here anymore because that steeple surely would have been blown over and maybe would have crushed this beautiful sanctuary in which we're meeting today. I think the Lord rewarded our faithfulness to missions, so we want to be a mission. We want to continue that tradition of being a church 
that is strong in missions. We want to be a church that loves one another and, and, and has fellowship with one another. And you'll see that uh, the, the women are organizing some small groups to, to, uh, to uh, facilitate that. So we've got some good things happening, and we're moving in a positive direction. And, and I want to encourage you with that as we think about our commitment to the church and how we uh, use our talents, our time, and our money in the support of Christ's institution here in Biloxi, First Presbyterian Church. Uh, we, we're excited about, we've got a number of people who are about to join the church, and they're going to be coming in and, and, and bringing in their resources as well. So I want to encourage everybody to bond together, renew our commitment to the church, uh, to Christ's church, and, and let's do his work together here in Biloxi. Let's pray together.